2 Corinthians chapter 11 this morning. Um, this is where we were at in the New Testament reading plan this past week. I believe this is from Monday. Uh, we'll go back into 10 a little bit, uh, maybe meander into 12 a little bit, but um, some things here that I just wanted to talk about. I just want to read it for us, and then we'll get into it. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. We will start in verse uh, 2. Then I'm going to jump down around verse 13 through 15, but 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 2, Paul says, For I feel a divine jealousy for you, the Corinthian church, since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. But I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, that your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. Jump with me down to verse 13. Speaking of these men who brought a different Jesus, brought a different spirit, brought a different gospel. Verse 13, for such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond with their deeds. Let me pray for us one more time. Father, truly, um, I need you this morning. Lord, I need you in this moment um, as much as I ever have. Lord, just as much as at the moment of salvation, Lord, I need you. Apart from you, I can do nothing. And Father, I, I do ask that you would please fill myself and each one of us here this morning with your Holy Spirit. Please give me words to speak in the moment that I need it. Please help me to make your word clear. Um, and please, Lord, through the proclamation of your word, cause our hearts to worship you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Uh, so I want to make a, make a statement um, here at the beginning that might have a little bit of shock and awe value, maybe, maybe not, I don't know. So I was thinking about it, I, I think it might have a little bit of shock and awe value, but I'm not saying it for shock and awe value. I'm saying it because I believe that it's true, okay? Um, here's, here, here's the statement, is that in the church today, just like existed in the church 2,000 years ago, as Paul was writing to Corinth, but in the church today, there exists piles and piles of demonic deception in the church. There exists piles and piles of demonic deception. Um, the church in general, okay, there exists demonic deception. Uh, but of course, for us here at Mercy Hill, you know, one of the charges that, that the Word of God gives to um, pastors and elders is to shepherd the flock of God which is among you. Okay, which means that I'm not responsible for shepherding necessarily a flock somewhere else that doesn't call Mercy Hill home. Okay, but for us, Sir Pastor, I'm, I'm res responsible along with the other elders to help shepherd the flock of God 
that is among us. And so for us, um, if you're going to know that you're deceived, then you have to start by acknowledging that you might be deceived. Does that make sense? You'll never know that you're deceived if you don't acknowledge that you are deceived. There has to be recognition there of, of, of some sort. And uh, we see that there was demonic deception back in the church in Corinth. Um, and, and I want to argue that there's still demonic deception uh, in our hearts today. And, even, and again, I, in general, the church, the capital C church, the universal church, but even also um, in, our, in our local church. I'm sure that there is demonic deception that exists. And I say that here at the beginning because I just, this is pretty simple, I want us to listen to this. I want us to listen to what the Word of God has to say. Because while most of us have been alive, maybe, you know, 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, maybe even 80, pushing 90 years, I, I, I don't know. Um, the devil's been along for a real long, he's been around for a real long time. And he just keeps working the same thing over and over and over. And apart from the help of his word, which is a lamp to our feet and a light unto our path, and the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit that wants to lead us and guide us into that truth so that we cannot be deceived, I want to tell you, there, there's no hope. There's no hope. But there is hope, like I just said, in Jesus and in, and in, and in his word. And the primary thing that I want to <coughs> talk to you about this morning is <coughs> just answering these two questions about demonic deception. Number one, what, what is he aiming for? What is he really after? And then number two, how does he do it? So what is he aiming for? What's his, what's his ultimate goal? And then secondly, how, how does he go about doing it? Those are the two questions that I want to uh, answer this morning, and I, and I really uh, want us to listen. Because again, if we're to be all that Christ intends uh, for his church to be, um, then we need to be aware of the deceptions of the enemy who wants to destroy us. First of all, what is he after? What is the serpent, the angel of, or who, Satan, and also the one who dis disguises himself as an angel of light? What is the serpent, what is the serpent after? Okay, here's what he's after. He's after your heart. I want you to get this. And I want you to understand, church, uh, why doctrine, why theology, why opening up this book, wh why it matters so much, okay, is he wants to distort our doctrine. Doctrine just being just kind of a informal layman's terms. It's just, um, it's the grid through which we understand who God is and who we are, okay? And there's a lot that could be, that could be added to that. But understanding who God is and who we are, and then obviously the implications in light of that. He wants to distort our doctrine, but he doesn't just want to distort our doctrine. He wants to distort our doctrine as a means of getting to the place where he can destroy our hearts. I'll say that again. He wants to distort our doctrine, but he only wants to distort our doctrine as a means of being able to destroy our hearts or our devotion. Our devotion would be the better word. Let me show you where I'm getting that. Verse three, if you saw this, he says, I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, that your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. What is the serpent after? He's after your devotion. He's after your heart. He's after your love. He's after your loyalty. 
He's after your passion for Jesus Christ. And he wants to do that through false doctrine, through our thoughts, through our understanding. But what he's ultimately after is our hearts. And, and Paul, I, I don't know how else to say this, Paul wants us to feel this. He really wants us to feel the weight of this. And that's why at the beginning of this passage, as he's going to talk about these, these false apostles, these super apostles, these uh, uh, servants of Satan who wear disguises just like Satan does, as we read about, um, before he's going to describe, you know, kind of how we can, or, or help us understand you know, kind of how we can spot them and, and how they kind of go about their work so that we would be wise, um, he first wants us to really feel the weight of how important it is that we not be deceived. And so he uses a couple of very powerful metaphors. The, the first one especially, here's what he says, verse two. I just want us to kind of sit and marinate in this word picture that he gives us. He says, I, I feel a divine jealousy for you. Since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. Here's, here's the word picture is that Paul pictures himself as a loving, kind father. He pictures the church as his daughter, as his child. And he betroths her, he gives her way to Christ. Now you gotta understand a little bit of nuance here that I think makes the image all the more powerful is that back in the day when Paul was writing, and if, you know, if you're familiar with the Old Testament and, and Jewish culture, is that weddings were arranged. Now right away I know all the ladies are going, no thank you, uh, no thank you. Um, well, but, but just listen to me for a second. I'm not making an argument for arranged marriages, okay? But, but let me just explain a little bit. It's because ideally, you have a father that loves you and cares for you. And you as his daughter, are as, you are more precious to him than anything else in the entire world. And so, in arranging a husband to come and to take you to be his own, he, man, he's going to search out a good husband. He's going to search out a man that is going to be a good protector, a good provider, somebody that's strong, somebody that's understanding, somebody that also cares for you in the same way that the, your father has cared for you. And Paul, in this illustration, says I, I, that's, that's, that was the work of the apostle. I mean, it's a whole other sermon here, but it's a sermon that needs to you know, be given to preachers and people in ministries. Like, this is the heart of what it means to be in ministries. Like, we're not betrothing people to ourselves, we're betrothing them to Christ. And Paul says, as a, as a loving, jealous father, I betrothed you to one husband, to Christ, and I, and, I, and I protected you, I took care of you, I presented you as a pure virgin. I didn't let other men mess with you. But I kept you safe and now I'm giving you to another. And, and again, that, that image, if you understand it, and what Paul, Paul's saying here is, guys, that when we talk about, like when I talk about false doctrine, when, when we talk about theology and knowing the truth, listen to me, you cannot sit there and think, well, Eric, I'm not a theologian. Or Eric, I've never been to seminary, you know, and I'm not in full-time ministry, and I'm not preaching every week, and, and, you know, and so it really doesn't matter for me. That is a lie. That's a lie. Because every single one of us does theology. Every single one of us has a grid through which we think about God, and, through, and, then, and then also in light of that, how we think about ourselves, and how we think about the world, and the implications of that. And Paul says, if, if you don't 
guards your mind, you will ultimately not guard your heart. And if you don't do that, you're not just simply believing some false doctrine and it's no big deal, you're committing adultery. That's the image. You're committing spiritual adultery because you've been betrothed, you've been given to Christ. And the serpent has worked his way in. Are you with me? Do you see that where I'm getting this in the text? And again, Paul, like that, that's a powerful, uh, should evoke some emotion and some passion in us, uh, word picture. And I want us to, and I want us to get that and I want us to understand that. That the demonic deception is not ultimately just about just our doctrine, but, but it's about our devotion. And then he mixes that metaphor with, with the story, not a metaphor, but it's the, the biblical account of what happened in the beginning. He says that I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, so he's going all the way back to the beginning in Genesis chapter 3, that he says, your thoughts, everybody say thoughts, thoughts, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. So again, I'm just, I know I'm being repetitive, but I'm laboring to show you where I'm getting this in the text. Thoughts are mind, but then devotion, our heart, that the two are linked. And if the enemy can deceive you in your thoughts, he only does it to get to your heart so that you will love something else more than Jesus. And again, the, the, the picture here is, um, of course, with the story of Adam and Eve in the garden, everything is created by God. They've done nothing. They themselves are created by God. They have earned, they, have, they themselves have created nothing, but they are given absolutely everything. Everything that they could ever need was given to them. And the enemy came in and he led their thoughts away from all that had been given to them and made them think that they needed something more. The devil is good, guys. I'm telling you. I'm just telling you. He's really good. And think about this. Adam and Eve, they had not yet sinned. They were innocent. They were morally pure and still they were deceived. How much more for us who were born, who were conceived, David said, hey, I was conceived in sin even from my mother's womb. How much more must we cling to Christ as individuals and as a church, lest the serpent come in and deceive us and lead our hearts away? And if you can just imagine, again, I, I think what Paul, he, he just wants us to feel the weight of this at the beginning. Before he moves on to anything practical about how you can spot these serpents and these snakes, these, these men that wear disguises and are servants of Satan. Because, it, I mean, just imagine, have you ever thought, like, put yourself, like, try to imagine that you're Adam and Eve. You're there in the garden, and everything is perfect, it's, it's beautiful. I mean, it just could not be better. God says over and over and over again, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good. He creates Adam and Eve and he says, it's very good. He says, it's yours. Just don't eat from this one tree, the knowledge of good and evil. And 
And when they took of that fruit and they ate of it, everything, like everything fell apart. Everything fell apart. We're, we're still experiencing the, the weight uh, and the, uh, um, the implications and the effects of Adam and Eve in that garden here today. And I, I think part of what Paul wants us to understand is don't think for a second that your disobedience isn't a big deal. Like, you imagine if you were Eve, and that, like in that moment, they're like, okay, yeah, like we're not supposed to eat of this tree, but is it really? Like, like in that moment, I don't think they thought about the rest of world human history and the death and the destruction and the wars and the pestilence and everything that was going to come upon this world because of their disobedience. In that moment, they were not thinking about how much their obedience mattered, but it mattered a lot. Amen? And I think what Paul was saying by implication is he wants the Corinthian church to realize, and I want us to realize, how much our obedience matters, guys. How much it matters. And how much our disobedience matters. Now, let me pull out for just a second before we continue on here in the text and say, thinking for a second about the bigger story, there is no human being that has ever lived a perfect sinless life except Jesus Christ. It's why he holds the position that he does, that he is the name above every other name, that he is the king of kings, that he is the Lord of lords. He did for us what we could not do for ourselves, but now as his church, as his bride, he's redeemed us by his obedience despite our disobedience. But he does not just suggest, and he does not just to say, well, you know, if it's convenient for you. No, he demands our loyalty. That we can sing with sincerity, as we did a little bit ago, that there's, there's nothing better than you. There's nothing better than you, Jesus. And the enemy wants to lead us uh, away from that. And... Um, and again, let me, let me just sit on this idea of our thoughts first, and again, kind of moving into how he, how he does it. Again, what he's ultimately after is not just um, our doctrine, but our doctrine to get, as a way to get to our devotion. But how he begins to do that, again, through the thoughts. I, I look over at chapter 10, verses 3 through 5, okay? I don't know if you guys are doing the Bible reading plan through the New Testament, you might have noticed this, but Satan is mentioned in chapter 10, 11, and 12 um, at the end of, uh, of, of Paul's letter here, and I don't have time to kind of go in and, and unpack all this, but, but look at chapter 10, verses three through five. Now, Satan is not mentioned, but let me just point out how it's referring to him. Chapter three, or I'm sorry, verse three of chapter 10, he says, for though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. And otherwise, yeah, we're living in the body, but like we don't fight the devil with a baseball bat. That's not, that's not how we roll. We don't have physical, physical weapons. What kind of weapons do we have? Verse four, for our wep the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but they have divine power to destroy strongholds. Now, a stronghold is a place not just where the enemy comes and it's kind of like a blitzkrieg attack and then he's in and then he's out, you know, but a stronghold is a place where the enemies come in and he has set up camp. He's built a fort, okay, I was talking with my boys about this this past week. Uh, 
Fortnite. Fortnite was actually used for some good this past week because I used Fortnite in, a, in an analogy to try to understand this. But, but Fortnite, you, you're setting up this, this, this fort. That's what the enemy does. But where does he do it at? He does it in your mind. He does it in your hearts. Now listen, or I'm sorry, in your mind is a way to get to your heart. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but they have divine power to destroy strongholds. That's a place where the enemy has not just come in one time, but he's come in over and over and over again. Verse five, we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. And then here's, here's the key, here's the connector with, with chapter 11, verse three, is the word thought. To obey Christ, taking every thought, every thought captive to obey Christ. How the enemy wants to set up a stronghold, a fortress, quite literally is what it is, a fortress uh, in your life so that he can take over more territory is through thought patterns that are lies. He plants lies into your mind and then he doesn't just do it once but he does it again. And again, and again, and again, and again, and again, and again, until he has built a fortress. Until he has built a stronghold. And he never stops. And then once he's got that stronghold, what's the point of building a fort? Like if you just think of like, like old, I don't know, American history. And like, um, why would they build forts in certain areas? They would build forts in strategic places so that they could control that region. So that they could control that area. The enemy wants to build fort strongholds in your mind and in your heart so that he can take over more territory. That's how it happens individually, but it's also how it happens as a church, is that God has given us the authority in him to proclaim the gospel to set people free. But the enemy wants to come in and he wants to deceive us in the way that we think about who God is, about the mission that he's given us to accomplish, about who we are in light of who he is and in light of all that he's accomplished, and wants to get us to believe that we maybe can't do that or, or shouldn't do that or that other things are more important and so we have other priorities. And the whole time he's just setting up camp. And then he's going out from that fortress, from that stronghold and taking more and more territory. Church, we're in a battle. We're in a battle. And if that's not convenient for you, if you don't like it, it doesn't matter. You're still in a battle, battle regardless, amen? In the name of Jesus, would he wake up? Wake up. I say that in love and I say that to myself too. Um, it, <clears throat> Just because you say, well, I don't, I don't really want to get involved. And I don't. If you've accepted Christ, you're involved. And the devil's no respecter of persons. He wants to take you down. You say, well, Eric, I'm not, you know, I don't really, I don't really see him at work in my life, and I don't, I don't really know what you're talking about. That's because he's good at what he does. It's because he wears disguises. It's because he's very sneaky, slithery like the serpent. That's a tongue twister, the sneaky, slithery serpent. Um, and, and here's oh, let, let, go, chapter, 10, verse, ver, chap, chapter 10, verse 5 again, okay, very quickly. Taking every thought captive, 
Here, here's our response. These, these, these arguments and lofty opinions, these are the lies of the enemy. Arguments and lofty opinions, those are the lies of the enemy. And they're raising themselves, notice what it's against. Not just the knowledge of you, but against the knowledge of God, okay? That's what he's ultimately after. Satan destroys us as a way of mocking God. That's his mission. He, wants, he hates God. We're created in God's image. And so he wants to destroy us as a way of mocking God. But here's the response, that we are to take every thought captive. This is a very strong idea here. It's the idea of, of, um, of like capturing an animal and putting it in a cage. And then like you're going around and you're looking at it. You're like, where'd you, where'd you come from? What are you doing? This is my territory. This is, I have authority here. You, you, can't, you can't come onto my, onto my property. Okay, anybody ever had a problem with groundhogs? raccoons, little devils, I'm telling you. Um, and, you know, and so you set, you set up a cage. You lure them in, you, you see the effects, and maybe, you, I don't know, your garden's eaten, or you got holes or whatever, you know, um, uh, in your yard or whatever. And so you're like, no, th- th- this is, th- nah, groundhog, you don't own this. You don't own this. Well, this is my territory. So you, you have to engage in some warfare <laughs> with the groundhog. And, uh, and you set up a cage, and you, and you take it captive, okay? And then you do with the groundhog, whatever you want to do with it. But, but, the, but the point being is that here's the idea. is like there has to be some intentionality on our part to take captive our thoughts. And, and here's, what, here's what we, this came up um, just kind of on the fly. In, we were talking about this passage in chapter 10 at small church on Wednesday night. And here's what, and this has just been sticking with me. Like here's how we act as Christians, okay? is the Bible tells us to take every thought captive and make it obey Christ. We take this random groundhog thought that comes into our mind that's set up against the knowledge of God. Wait a minute, where'd you come from? Uh-uh, that's not true. No, where'd that come from? So maybe we trace it back to maybe where, you know, what we were thinking about before, or maybe how the, you know, the serpent tried to sneak something, something in there, and then we, then we cast it out. We make it obey Christ. That's not true, this is true. But here's, here's how we act as Christians. Instead of being strong in our authority, that has been given to us in Christ. We don't have to earn it. It's been given to us by him. We kind of, it's like we got a ground. We, we pick up a stick or a stone and we're like, eh, go away. Don't come on my property anymore. Oh, wish you'd stop, you stinky little groundhog. You know, I, I don't know what I'm saying at this point. But, but like, guys, our attitude is so ridiculous I don't know how this stronghold got here. I don't know how this fortress got here. I don't know how this massive addiction and sin problem got here. That's how it got here. And Christ has given us the authority. Listen, this is not works-based righteousness. We stand in the righteousness of Christ and we fight the devil, not in our own power, but in the power of Christ, the risen Christ. What did he say in the Great Commission? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. The one with all authority has commissioned us. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. That is to be the mission that we're about. And I gotta shoot straight with you, but like before we even get to the mission, we're not just one or two steps behind, we're like 15 steps behind. Because it's really hard to carry out the mission when we got fortresses set up in our hearts and in our minds because we've not guarded them. Amen? And here's the deal, you know, again, 
Oh, Eric, that's so discouraging. Where I thought we were just one or two steps behind, and you're saying that we're 15. You're in a battle. And if you want to get to where you want to be, then you first have to be honest about where you're at. If I want to get to Dover, I've got to know whether I'm starting in Berlin or in Worcester or in Canton or wherever. You guys, we have to be honest about where we're at. We have to be honest about the, the difficulties and the strongholds maybe in our life that have been set up. But we have been given divine power that is mighty to destroy strongholds. They are, just in passing, they are primarily the word of God and prayer. The other one that comes into play very directly is, I would argue, is the body of Christ. That the primary means of grace in your life by which we can tear down strongholds personally, corporately, together, wherever it might exist, is through the word of God, through prayer, and then doing those things together. I'm just going to be honest with you because I love you and I'm responsible to shepherd the flock of God that is among me, okay? When we call a prayer meeting, if we have 200 people here this morning, we'll have five. Maybe 10. Because we believe lies that other things are more important. I love you, I know that stings a little bit. But if we're going to be the people that God wants us to be, we got to shoot straight. And in our small churches, I'm all for fellowship. I'm all for eating good food. I bought a wood pellet smoker lately just because I believe in eating good food. I grilled a pork shoulder yesterday. Anyway, it's neither here nor there. But all that's great. But when we do that 97% of the time and we spend, you know, then another 1.5% of the time in the Word of God and then 1.5% of the time in prayer, brothers and sisters, I don't, it's not going to get it done. It's just not. And we can lie to ourselves and say that it is. Look at me, it's not. And quite frankly, it hasn't. Um... This is what, this is what God, God calls us to do. Again, the reason this all matters is because it's not just about heady theology and having a right, I mean, I, I don't, uh, don't want to go into this a whole lot, but guys, what you're seeing happening in our world right now with the racism issue and the police and white and black and, you know, whatever, <clears throat> different sides you want to draw, listen to me. It is a biblical, theological issue. And, and the church is getting swept away into the narrative that the world is presenting. And it's because there are strongholds set up, lies that we have believed. And the way back is through the truth. And it's in the power of the Holy Spirit.
and it's in the body of Christ speaking the truth in love to one another that we could overcome. I just want you to uh, look here briefly again at transitioning back in chapter 11 down to verse 4 about how now Paul's going to talk about you know, how do they do what they do? Um, well, they wear disguises um, three times in verses 13, 14, and 15. He talks about these, they wear disguises, Satan wear disguises, so they disguise themselves. But look at, look, look at verse 4 with me also for a second. And he says, For if someone proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel, you put up with it readily enough. Think about this. Isn't that amazing? Have you ever read that verse before? They're preaching another Jesus. Brothers and sisters, do you know that there's another Jesus that's being preached today? Same as it was back then. There's another Jesus being preached. Not the Jesus of the Bible. Usually, it's a Jesus that doesn't require a cross. And it's a Jesus that doesn't really care that much about sin. And of course, those two go hand in hand. Because the whole point of the cross was to deal with sin. There was a different Jesus being proclaimed back then. But notice here, I'm not just talking about, I'm not just talking about, you know, Buddha or Confucius or Muhammad. I, I, I'm talking about a different Jesus. They say Jesus. Every false teacher that's a good false teacher that wears a decent disguise as like an angel of light, listen to me, they're going to say Jesus. And quite honestly, for the average Christian, most people, oh, he said, he said, you know, it's all about Jesus. Oh, well, then I guess he must be good. No, he's not good. We have to be more discerning than this. Again, they, they do this through disguises, but here's the big thing I want you to see. I want you to, I, I want you to well, let me give you a couple things. Let me give you a couple things. Um, a couple ways to detect these false teachers, and again, I've talked a lot about the enemy. I'm moving now into a more specific, you think of it as a funnel. I've talked about the enemy and strongholds in general. We're moving down now to how he brings it in through false teaching, primarily uh, in the church. Um, one of the things that he does over and over again um, through false teaching, this is one of the ways to discern it, ask this question, are they highlighting the sufficiency of Christ or, the, or are they highlighting and talking about many things that you need to yet obtain? Okay? So let me show you where I'm getting this. Because he says, they preach another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, a different spirit from the one you received, or a different gospel from the one you already accepted. And then roll that back up and think of it through the grid of the analogy that he gave, or the story that he gave before of Eve in the garden. They had been given absolutely everything. What was the devil's lie? Uh, God's holding out on you. You don't have, actually have everything that you need. See, what you need yet is you need this knowledge over here. You need to eat from this tree. And once you get that, then you'll be like God. It was a lie. What God has done for us through the gospel of Jesus Christ, if you have simply believed in him, I don't care if you have goosebumps or not. I don't care if you feel anything or not. On the authority of the word of God, we're to, we're to live by faith. The righteous live by faith, not by feeling. 
in all that he's done for us, we have been given everything that we need for life and godliness in Christ Jesus. Colossians, in him we have been made complete. Complete. So you have no joy, you have no fruit of the Spirit in your life because you're constantly searching for something else. If I can just get this, if I can just get this, and it can be anything. I mean, the application here is there's a bazillion of them. If I can just get this position, if I can just get more money, if I can just be more beautiful, if I can just lose some weight, if I can just, you know, uh, be more handsome, if I can just get these, 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 these clothes, if I can just get this training, if, training, if I can just get this position or, or be in, in, in uh, you know, have this power or this authority or if people acknowledge me like this, whatever it is that you're chasing after, you are minimizing what Christ has given you. <laughs> we... We don't act like we've been given good news because, quite frankly, most of us don't believe that we've actually been given good news. That in Christ you can be made complete. And man, right now, with all, you know, how are we going to fix this race issue? I'll tell you how. Racism is a sin. And the only one who can deal with sin, and sin comes from the heart, and the only one who can change your heart is Jesus Christ. He came to deal with sin. And so church, here's the point is that we have been given the message. We've been given the good news. We have been given the antidote to this. And so yes, let's stand up for what's wrong. Absolutely, that's part of it. But after we stand up for what's wrong, let's not forsake our message that is the power of God unto salvation and is the only message that can change somebody's heart. The only message that can change a racist, hateful heart is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And not just that, but just an entire biblical, we're seeing an entire biblical worldview played out in front of us. Ideas and theology, even if it's really bad theology, guys, it has implications. And we're seeing that played out in front of us. Again, and I... This is the whole thing with, with, with race. Now, listen, I believe that racism exists. I, I know of a brother that, that is black that I love and that shared with me this past week that when he first moved to this area, he got pulled over nine times in the first couple weeks. And most of the time, he was just asked, what are you doing here? So I'm not, like, I believe that it, it exists, okay? I believe that it exists. But the reality of the human heart is that it can only be transformed through the power of Jesus Christ. And that is the message that God has given to the church to proclaim. And so I'm fine with standing up or, you know, doing whatever and saying that it's wrong. That's fine. But then give the answer. Give the good news. Proclaim the gospel because the reality is is that because, and again, it comes back to a biblical worldview, is that we are all one race in Adam. Every race of man came from one man and woman, Adam and Eve. And the thing that unites us is that we are all, in him, we were all sinners and we all need a savior. And Jesus Christ came and we are now what? We are born again. We are blood-bought. We are born now into a new family from outwardly every tribe, tongue, language, and nation, and we have become a new family in Christ. And that is where our highest allegiance lies because of what he has done for us. Amen? And the world desperately 
needs to hear this. Whether it's somebody that's dealing with hatred and racism in their heart, that God could change that and pour out his love into their hearts by the power of the Holy Spirit, just like he does for everybody who's truly born again, as he says in Romans chapter 5. Or whether it's somebody that, has, that needs to be able to forgive and find reconciliation and hope and healing from the racism that they've experienced. Only Jesus can do that. And it's the message that he's given us to proclaim. I've gone so far off my notes at this point, I don't even know how to get back at all. So worship team, why don't you come up? <laughs> um, Guys, I, I just, again, I, our obedience matters, and our disobedience matters. And I know that we live in East Holmes County, and even all that's going on in the world, and again, I'm not even talking, I don't I want to make this all about just, you know, the race thing and all the hype that's going on with that right now. But you've heard me say before that, you know, I feel like in Holmes County, it's like we live like we're little hobbits in the Shire. We're a bubble within a bubble within a bubble. But our obedience matters and our disobedience matters. And for us, I just want us to search our hearts this morning. And then, along with that, ask that, ask that God would really be the one searching our hearts. And as David prayed, see if there's any wicked way in us. And when he presents it, the, yeah, we acknowledge that it's there and and we, uh, we want to deal with it, but we deal with it by bringing it to the cross, by bringing it to him. And again, I, um, it's very quickly, I won't go into it. I won't, won't even have us turn there. But, you know, two of the primary images that Paul gives here in this passage being of the, of the serpent um, and of the bride. And... When you get a chance, man, I'm telling you, go just study those themes throughout the Bible and maybe especially read the last couple chapters of the book of Revelation this afternoon. Because it's interesting that Paul mentions those two things here about being betrothed. The church is, is, has been betrothed to Christ and that the serpent is there trying to, to steal it because, man, our, our great hope, our great hope, our certainty is that, I mean, you read the end of Revelation, there's two primary things going on. God is taking the serpent, that ancient serpent of old, he's called, Revelation chapter 20, and he's casting him into the lake of fire. But there's something else happening too, and that is the wedding supper of the Lamb. That even where we have been deceived, even where there have been strongholds set up in our minds, even as believers, and there shouldn't be, there's no excuses, that Christ, our Savior, is faithful. And he's not going to let us go, and he's going to see us through to the end. Amen? And church, I, I don't want us to forsake our inheritance. In the midst of all the crazy times and in the midst of all that the, the enemy might, might try to do in any season of our lives or any season of the church, is that we have a message about the God-man, Jesus Christ. And he came to rescue and to purchase and to save his bride, and he came to crush the head of the serpent, of the snake. Let's not forget that. Father, I thank you.
for this morning. Lord, I just pray just right now that we can just quiet our hearts. And Lord, I want to pray for the fortresses and the strongholds that exist here this morning. I, I don't see them perfectly, but you do. Lord, I thank you. We, we, we don't have to shout. We don't have to clap a little louder, whatever. We just, we just claim the promises of your word that you've given us divine power for the tearing down of these strongholds. And Jesus, I pray that you would come and that you would put these strongholds under your feet. Whether it's hatred, whether it's unforgiveness, anxiety, depression, self-harm, abuse. You are Lord. You are Lord over them. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And Father, for on the larger scale of everything that's going on in the world, Lord, I believe that you hear us this morning. And Father, we just want to play our role well where you've placed us. And Lord, our world needs so desperately for your kingdom to come, for your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we need the Prince of Peace to move in power, to change our hearts. We ask you for these things, for your honor and for your glory. In the name of Jesus, amen.